This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with Richie Ote. What's up, my brother? How's it going, Steve? All right, all right. Sure, man. Uh... We'll talk. Uh, Mary Goulet is off in the world doing her fun stuff in Croatia, swimming in the, that's not the, was it the Baltic? Is that the Baltic over there? I don't even know. I am so bad with geography. That might even, I don't even know if that's Just the go Baltic. wide and say Mediterranean. In, in a sea somewhere, and she'll be back very soon. Wade's holding it down in the studio. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters, and really excited to Bring in our guest soon enough here on Reinvention Radio, but um, just wanted to take a moment and because uh, I know, well, we certainly feel like you guys are listening family, are our family, and uh, and Richie's certainly part of my family, and of course Mary and Kelly and Wade and so on, and uh, you know Richie, I mean, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you, know, you lost your dad, and I know he was. Not doing great, but still, it's the reality of of it actually happening. So, yeah, thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. It uh, was definitely it's been an interesting roller coaster. Um, you know, like you said, he wasn't really doing well, so we knew it was coming. It wasn't like a car accident or something, you know, or just yeah. going to happen overnight. But it was almost like more emotional during the process, seeing my daughter hanging out with him, and then then almost like feelings disappeared mm. for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, got to get back going on life. And then they coming back again, right? So mm-hmm. we'll see. Talk to your wife <laughs> soon about yeah. this. I um, So I was, I was reading a post from somebody online. Um, I think it was actually on, on Twitter. Uh, and as I was scrolling through the posts and getting angrier and angrier about some of the posts and um, happier and happier about others. It's really, talk about the wave of emotion, just scroll through your Twitter feed. Yeah, I mean, it's like, Jesus. Um, but it was interesting. So there was a post from a woman who said, I was, and I'll paraphrase here, of course, but she basically said, I was walking downtown, saw this beautiful shirt, men's shirt in the window, and thought to myself, you know, dad would look really great in that shirt and realized that dad died six years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I would love to have bought that for him, you know? And, and, and my wife, who lost her parents when she was much younger, um, very young, uh, way too young. I never knew her, her, her dad, and she and I just celebrated 22 years together, so I never knew her dad. Uh, and her mom passed in the first maybe five years or so of our being married. Uh, so she lost her parents way too young. Uh, and she she has often said, when she especially like when she's just in a mood and just kind of needs someone to talk to that's not me or not a friend, she's like, you know, I just really wish I could call my mom. Mm. You know, and that's been like fifteen, eighteen years or whatever. So I guess I really never goes away and uh so it'll ebb uh, you know and it'll flow man but yeah oh wade please yes yeah well i was just gonna toss in you know and again condolences uh richard but you also mentioned mary Mm -hmm. and croatia 
And I just wanted to throw in, you know, Croatia sounds like a faraway land. You know, we've kind of heard of, but we've got no mental concept of where it is and everything. Well, we know the boot of Italy. So on the east side of the boot of Italy... Where, You're giving us a geography lesson. Yeah, just real okay, quick. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, but just as you go up the boot of Italy and, uh, and you come around the bend, so uh-huh. to speak, Croatia's right there on the other side of the bend. Ah. So it's kind of think of it as Italy-ish, as Ish. you're trying to put it. So Mary's actually <laughs> in the Mediterranean ah. kind of area. There we go. All right, thank you for that. I thought you were going to tell me that's where her mom died and she was visiting her grave or something of that nature. Or because of her spirituality, you or can we, now talk to them no matter where. Yeah, right. They don't have to be there. <laughs> you never know where Wade's going to go with all this fun stuff, man. Thank you for that. Now now we know exactly where it is. And, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll welcome Mary back. Uh, hopefully next week. And and by the way, for those of you who are joining us for uh, the first time here on Reinvention Radio, don't forget we do have our other show, uh, Beyond Eight Figures, uh, where you can tune in and listen to us sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million uh, or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually. And we get to the bottom of how they started and scaled in some cases, exited from those businesses and you can join us live every thursday we do these shows live every thursday well of course we do them live how else would we do them otherwise that would yeah okay we won't go down that path <laughs> but we do these shows live every thursday from 12 until 2 pacific and so you can join the feed at either reinventionradio.com in that hour or beyond eight figures the number eight beyond eight figures.com uh in that hour and you can join us live you can actually call in as well uh, we do welcome your calls 866 866- Nine seven seven twenty three forty six, and so we do welcome your calls as well eight six six nine seven seven twenty three forty six when we broadcast live, uh, and also just don't want to be remiss here uh, about not mentioning our sponsor, uh, ClickFunnels, which is the platform that we use to build funnels and web pages online in a snap, and you can get the best deal that they have there at reinventionradio.com slash ClickFunnels. Matter of fact, we're moving everything over to ClickFunnels. We were on Infusionsoft for years and years and years. Uh, we're actually moving everything over to ClickFunnels. That'll be an interesting migration, mm-hmm. but uh, but just want to make sure we mention them. And again, you can check out the best deal that they have for building websites and funnels in a jiffy, easiest platform there is on the planet to use for making your presence known online, reinventionradio.com slash ClickFunnels. So go ahead, please, and check that out. All right, and speaking of uh, just, I mean, I, I find ClickFunnels to be an amazing, brilliant platform, and I find that the guests that we bring on to this show are always amazing and brilliant uh, in their own right, and we're really lucky and fortunate, and I do believe that we are lucky and fortunate to have the guests that we have uh, on our shows to come on and share their brilliance. Specifically, we're talking about Nisa, and I want to say it's a Moyles, but I don't want to butcher your name Throughout the program, Nisa, am I getting it right? That's right. Nisa Amoyles. All right, good. I got it down, Pat. I've never lived it down. I've mispronounced this one guest's name about three years ago. And every time I see him, the guy gives me so much crap about it. It's not even funny. So I don't want to end up in that <laughs> boat there with you, Nisa. All right, really great having you here. Uh, where, where are you actually at in the world right now? I'm in New York City. In New York City. Well, Great having you here, and you've got uh, a pretty interesting story of reinvention yourself. Uh, you were, so you were a securities lawyer uh, at one point in your in, in your life. Did you actually go to school wanting to be some sort of attorney? Yes, I did. 
shockingly. Shockingly. So where did you go to school, and uh, are we still paying off the debt, or are we good on that? Oh, no, we're good. Um, it was a long time ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I went to University of Pennsylvania Law School. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what, what attracted you to the law at that point? Did you think, hey, it's just an easy way to make some money? Did you have lawyers in the family? What, uh, I, I'm always curious why people go down the path of uh, pursuing the law. Yeah, you know, I had gone to business school undergrad, and I was graduating um, kind of uh, in the middle of a recession, and I thought, well, let me just apply to law school. If I get into a top 10 school, I'll go, mm-hmm. and I did. So it, it wasn't very well thought out <laughs> at the time. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like, a, you know, a something to do. How, so how long, and, and, and securities law, like you could have done anything, had just, just so curious, how did, how did you end up choosing securities law of all the ways that you could have focused your, you know, your legal degree? Right. So I had gone to business school before law school. And so I was always interested in finance and business. And so securities law was something that I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be just a good education to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Come on, in the- basically... Yeah. In, in the back of your in the back of your mind, let's be honest here. You were thinking, "I'm going to take at least a dozen companies public before I die." So <laughs> you were thinking, "I want to make sure that I know what the hell's going on." Is that that's probably more of what it was, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I or think I so. Wanted to, you know, <laughs> be at the printer at four in the morning, uh, which I was. Um, Wait a minute, you didn't catch that, was, that comma in the S one, Nisa? You are fired. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was doing. It was really funny. It was we used to wait around for the the printer to the the next round of changes to come out. It was like time to make the donuts. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody wake up and make the changes. Do, and do do we still talk about red herrings, or is that a term I should never repeat again? <laughs> yeah, no, don't ever repeat that again, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, those were some funny days. We we actually had the S one filed on on our company, and we were ready to go public with it in March of two thousand. I don't know if you remember uh, mm. exactly what happened then, but needless to say, uh, that was the beginning of the end for for the Nasdaq and for our company at that point, which was Liquor dot com and. Right. Long story. Mm-hmm. Actually, still am involved with that company now. To the day, got the, to this day, got the domain back and all. But but we went through that whole thing with with the securities S one file. I mean, like the whole nine. And needless right. to say, I understand why you wanted to get out <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of, of that exactly. world. So so right. you so you've had a number of reinventions, and and uh, certainly want to talk about your current work and all the fun stuff that you're up to. Uh, but take us through some of the career reinventions that you've had since uh, the life of being a securities attorney? Absolutely. So, you know, I worked at a big law firm. I ended up leaving and going in-house to what was then um, a media company that was owned by Barry Diller and in the process of being um, absorbed into a holding company. So that, back then it was called NBC Universal, hmm. um, and now it's called Interactive Corp. I so, see. Yeah. Yep. I see. Yep. And what uh, we were doing at the time, it was around you know, nineteen, the late nineties, and we were, it was the first wave of internet disruption, mm-hmm. and so we were investing in those companies. We were um, doing partnerships with those companies, and 
Um, so I basically had, you know, while I was there, moved into just more of the business function and more of the actual um, doing the finance, due diligence, et cetera, negotiating the terms of the deal. And so I spent a number of years in big media. Uh, after being there, I did a stint at AOL Time Warner around the time of the merger. Mm. And I then um, was actually uh, involved in doing some movie product placements, marketing, promotion, because um, this, the Time Warner owns Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema. And so um, I got involved in doing um, a lot of that movie marketing. And then I left media and decided that I was going to become an entrepreneur. Uh, so Hold on, I want to time I, you out. I want to time you out here for just yeah. one quick second. Were you, because in in those days, especially if you were tied in with, with Barry Diller and IAC and a lot of the investments and a lot of the you know moving parts that were taking place during that time period, were, were you able to cash in on any of those acquisitions or exits or mergers, et cetera, or... Was it strictly I am a I'm, I'm just a, I'm, a, I'm a paid employee, and that's as far as the the paper trail went for you? Yeah, I mean at that time I was a paid employee, mm-hmm. um, but I think having had that experience led me into investing later, and I watched the disruption of internet to media, which is very similar to the disruption now of blockchain to the financial system. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of parallels um, being drawn. So that is, I guess, how I ended up transitioning ultimately into investing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I definitely, and I know, Richie, this is a subject that's near and dear to your heart. I definitely want to have a conversation around the blockchain and, 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 I mean, that's... that is a discussion I want to make sure we leave time to have. And some of the articles that you've written, I mean, you obviously have deep expertise in this space. And so your insight uh, is absolutely welcomed around that. And thanks for, you know, putting your thoughts on paper, because I've read some some of your writing, I mean, just great articles and, and really enlightening in, in so many ways. So thank you for sharing some of that brilliance. Let's get into that uh, in, in, in a minute. Let, but I want to talk about then your transition into the world of being an entrepreneur. So what what was that first endeavor and how many entrepreneurial endeavors have you undertaken? Yeah, so um, because uh, I I met up with a partner and she was leaving her hedge fund and we had absolutely no experience in the beauty industry whatsoever, but we just decided to launch a skincare company. And, uh, you know, we did everything from being in the lab with our lab hats uh, to, mm. uh, you know, driving around to retailers' houses to get them to carry the products, et cetera, and learn the whole beauty business as a result. And then that company um, launched into about 100 prestige doors at the time and then eventually was primarily sold on QVC mm. and um, lasted, you know, that endeavor... Although, you know, somebody with real beauty experience was ultimately hired to run it. Um, the company lasted for like seven years and until we wound it down. Hmm. But I started... Um, what did to, you guys, what did you gross at, uh, at your peak revenue-wise with that one? 
you know, I can't disclose that. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true attorney. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but I, around that time, I guess in the process of raising capital, realizing the disparity that women had raising capital versus men, I decided to start investing in, you know, other women uh, as an angel investor around, this is about 2010. Mm -hmm. And I started out as a generalist, um, just investing where I thought I could add value, whether that was like in the beauty business or in the media business or in legal. And then I very quickly realized that uh, my true passion was in frontier technologies and that I that was where I wanted to focus. So mm -hmm. I um, started investing in those areas, uh, spent a couple of years at a venture fund um, investing in those areas as well. And then, um, you know, talked back to the theme of reinvention. I uh, most recently wrote my book. Uh, which is called WTF is Happening, mm -hmm. Women Tech Founders on the Rise. Mm -hmm. And I profile 13 female founders in the areas of blockchain, autonomous mobility, robotics, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and talk about how they still only receive 2% of all venture funding mm. in the to, as of today, mm -hmm. and how they outperform, so that wow. this is really an underfunded, undershopped asset class that overdelivers. And so it's it's for people that are seeking alpha. This is an overlooked asset. Mm -hmm. And just so we're clear, when you say frontier technologies, how do you define frontier? It's it's those five areas that I said, you know, robotics, mm -hmm. VR, uh, blockchain autonomous mobility, mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so at this juncture, I know you're involved with a number of, of organizations and so on. So I just want, in, in your own words, I want our folks to understand exactly what you're doing. So are you running your own venture firm now? Are you just doing angel investing? Are you doing consulting? Uh, are you just speaking on the subject? Like, I just want to make sure that people understand exactly what you're doing right now in this world. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm in the process of raising another fund that focuses on pretty much fintech and blockchain. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as I said, there are areas uh, where they converge. Uh, as you know, I've written about convergence. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these technologies accelerating at a very rapid pace right now, interacting with each other. And so th that's an area uh it's one of the theses of the fund mm -hmm. and so are you the are you the general partner if you will of the fund do you have other people that are involved with you in this in, in i this? have other people involved with me but yes and there are lps or, or are they on gps uh, oh, really? other gps right mm -hmm. what's what's the goal for the current fund is to invest in in blockchain i'm sorry from a from a dollar perspective <laughs> what's what's the what's the dollar oh, goal from also the, right we're not talking dollars ah. right now so, is this yeah. um is this your first it's not your first fund so you can talk about so them. i said I, I was with another fund yeah um for like three years got it and so this is your first fund going solo let's talk about making that 
that leap then? Are you, uh, how, how hard is it to start your own fund? Well, um, look, I have a track record. I've had uh, exits. Uh, you know, it's, it's always challenging for emerging managers mm-hmm. um, to start funds. Uh, but I think if you have a unique thesis and you've proven that um, you're capable of uh, picking winners, I think, you know, um, I think it's it's possible. It's happening every day. Sure. Um, and, yeah. So. so do you, for those of, uh, of our audience, uh, our listeners here who are unfamiliar with them, what it takes to to put together a fund – is it your intention to go to family offices, high net worth individuals, pension funds? Where where do you envision the capital coming from? Who are you pitching? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was involved in raising our third fund, the last go around, where I did a lot of that. I also spend a lot of time with other family offices, um, just educating them about the space because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And mm-hmm. I, I spend a lot of time on conferences and panels and webinars mm-hmm. uh, for them. Um, you know, just, just yeah, really education is very important in this sector. Mm-hmm. And I would think you probably have some degree of lead generation based on your your visibility. I mean, I'm always of the mindset that visibility begets visibility. And so with all the writing you do and the and the media appearances and your book and so on, you, you probably have some degree of inbound as well, no? Yeah, I would say I got about 25 inbound a day. Jeez. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting, right? So when you talk about disruption and, and fintech and, and blockchain and, you know, and all the fun stuff that's going on in robotics and, and everything else on these frontier technologies. You know, my, my wife is a, is a licensed funeral director and embalmer uh, here in San Diego. We're in California. She's also licensed in Illinois. Um, and, you know, you have all this frontier technology stuff, right? Like all that cool, new, I mean, just stuff that's impossible to explain to the average layperson. And then you have the funeral industry, which when you come right down to it, there's no industry that's more ripe for disruption than, than the funeral industry right now, which is why we're trying to get her her own place because she has so many wonderful ideas around that. Given your experience of working with so many female founders and female entrepreneurs, uh, for those in our listening audience uh, who are also potential female founders, female entrepreneurs, I know it's not in this frontier technology space, but what would you suggest that a person like my wife do or other female founders who may not be in this frontier technology space wouldn't be ideal candidates for you to invest in? But what, what should they think about doing in terms of potentially finding investors for their ideas and initiatives? You know, a lot of the issue with the 2% number is about access, right? Because venture capital industry is um, a cottage industry. It's, it's A lot of it's based on pattern matching. Um, and that's one of the reasons you see that such a disparity in the numbers. Although women have had a lot of success with crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding platforms, um, the percentages go up to like 45, 50% on those platforms. 
And that's because really they're getting access and they're able to tell their stories and, um, you know, there's not as much bias going into the decision making, especially for consumer facing companies where when people you say, can really understand. And when you say 40 to 50 percent, are you talking about in terms of being able to raise 40 to 50 percent of the capital that they need through crowdfunding platforms? Or did you mean something else? By no, that? no, no. That um, crowdfunding platforms fund women to the tune of 40 to 50 percent mm. as opposed to 2 percent. Gotcha. Is there, and, and there's a lot of platforms out there. Are you still a fan of the Indiegogos or the, uh, I mean, what, what, if you were advising someone now, what, what crowdfunding platform are you still a fan of? Yeah, I mean, I'm an advisor to one called Republic. Um, that's a spin out of AngelList. And Indiegogo, Kickstarter, those have been around a long time. Uh, you know, with the crowdfunding laws and the Jobs Act, you're entitled to raise basically up to a million dollars from unaccredited investors on these platforms. And mm-hmm. so that opens up um, the pool a bit more. And, and part of the reason that um, I'm excited about blockchain technology is then it becomes crowdfunding on steroids in a way. And you can actually reach um, a much broader audience with with certain types of deals, certain types of investments and assets that can be tokenized. Um, so I think that you know more more access is what we're looking for, and that will ultimately cause more opportunity to um, like women and minorities. Mm-hmm. So to to that end, are there Kickstarter like platforms that help to tokenize? these opportunities and take advantage of the blockchain technologies. Does anything like that exist? Absolutely. Uh, Actually, one of my portfolio companies is a company called Securitize, and they specialize in being an issuance platform and transfer agent functionality for tokens. Mm. Um, So you can take real-world assets that are illiquid, whether Mm -hmm. that be real estate or... um, you know, LP interest in funds or massive structured securitized debt. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some have even done this with, um, you know, some uh, clinical trials on certain drugs, um, you know, or patents on a balance sheet. It, there's a lot of different asset classes where there's been experimentation and tokenization. Mm-hmm. But essentially, once the assets are tokenized, it's just like putting a digital wrapper on something. It's fractionalized. And then you can invest in a much smaller piece of it um, than would normally be required. You could have access to investing in the token. And then you can have liquidity because after a one-year lockup, you can trade the token on exchanges. So um, I think it provides a lot of utility. Um, You've got automation, transparency, liquidity, all enabled by blockchain. It's really interesting. And I think it's scary for a lot of people because it's just so foreign in terms of concept, I mean, just can, can you, in 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 layperson's terms, help people to understand exactly what that means in terms of blockchain and tokenization? And I mean, could you take an existing company? Like I'm thinking about like Liquor.com as an example, which is a company that I'm still right. involved with to this day, 
and you know I'm, I'm one of the largest shareholders, but I'm a founding shareholder, which means that I've got you know stock that's going to sit behind different tranches of, of raise over the years, and and so I mean unless we have a massive raise, I'm probably not going to see a dime, right? So mm-hmm. is, is would that be an option? So what? How would you describe it in layperson's terms? And for a company like Liquor.com, would securitize that company? Would that be an option for us to find some degree of liquidity with what we have and bring in new capital to continue to grow the company? Like, to well, step, so step us through that. Liquor.com, you said, had already done an IPO? No, 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 no. No, still private. Oh, it's still private. Oh, so yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think... Later stage companies are more interesting to tokenize because you actually have numbers. You're, it's easier to kind of value the company. Mm-hmm. And if you compare um, a security token offering or an STO, which we would talk about, versus an IPO, you know, the costs are much, much less to do an STO I mean, you, you're still, it's still a security. You're, you still need to go through regulatory approval, mm-hmm. but the whole process is, is so much smoother. Um, you know, you need net less in legal fees. You, once, once this is issued, you can actually track who owns your shares mm-hmm. on block, using blockchain technology. Um, Let's say you you wanted to reward a certain class of holders um, with some special dividend or something. You know that's a lot easier to do than it is if you're just a public company and you you don't know who your shareholders are. Um, when you say cost, so can think, you can you break down like generally speaking? So like what it would cost to typically take a, a company public through traditional measures, and what it would cost through an STO. Generally well, speaking, I would say generally, very generally. Yeah. Um, you know, an IPO could cost a few million dollars to mm-hmm. do all, all in. You know, once you're you're paying the investment bankers and you're paying the lawyers and right, like mm-hmm. all of that. I would say some estimates have shown that SPOs probably would cost sixty percent of that. Mm. So you're saving forty percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, Richie. Oh, I was just going to go back to kind of protect the listeners that are going WTF are they talking about right and kind of <laughs> go, go just that, go read Nisa's book right. yeah so aside from they should go get your book also on this episode what can you bring it back to the layman's terms and and I'll just give a little bit of a, a pre dialogue here I liken a lot, a lot to the gold rush because there's a couple separate things going on there's the value people are so confused they're thinking of the value of a bitcoin on one hand like what is that and then the separate is the technology so gold in and of itself had value you use it in computers you use it in different technologies but then there was also the i can go find this and i can get it and it's going to be worth more tomorrow and i it, it doesn't matter anything to do with the technology so can you kind of bring back and speak to the person who has no idea literally what we're talking about at all and kind of what is the difference what is the technology of blockchain even for and do they even care about what the price of a coin is or any of that stuff just mm. and super absolutely okay so uh blockchain technology is what bitcoin is built on 
Um, so it's basically just one application of the technology. And um, it is like math algorithms in a very simple, simplest, simplest terms. Think about an Excel spreadsheet or a database. Um, it's just a very, very advanced uh, technology called cryptography um, used to create that where you need consensus or like a solving of a math problem to add a new block. And so it's trustless, like you don't have to trust a middle party. Um, and so Bitcoin um, is essentially currency or, or the, the primary narrative is it's established as a store of value primarily. It's been a pretty volatile asset. So the narrative about it being a payment mechanism hasn't, um, you know, captured the media's attention as much, although Bitcoin is accepted at 100,000 locations, actually. But um, so people care about the price of Bitcoin. So it's, it's not backed by a basket of other assets. Like, you know, it, it's basically its own asset. Um, backed by demand for it and scarcity. There's only a certain amount of Bitcoin ever to come into existence, and this was all part of Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper from 10 years ago. It is decentralized, meaning it's not controlled by any government or central body. Um, again, the algorithms, the math here um, come in to, um, you know, govern the, the asset, and then it's open source or permissionless, and so it's built, anybody can innovate on it, um, it's not limited to a certain amount, you know, certain companies, or it's, it's open, and um, there are also other applications of blockchain that are permissioned, which means they're closed networks, um, and a lot of what you've might have read is that big companies like IBM or Walmart or are using permissions or their own blockchains to build upon for a specific use case, which is different than Bitcoin as a currency use case. So some of the other use cases are, for instance, with Walmart, supply chain management. Um, blockchain makes that much, much more efficient, like it can track the food sources where they are, and you know if somebody gets sick uh, from a certain batch of food, it's it's much much easier to track where it's coming from. There's a million other use cases of blockchain in, in virtually every industry. Um, the one that gets the most attention right now is the disruption of the existing financial system. Um, and so that's what you're seeing this week with Facebook and Libra and the hearings on the Hill in Senate and House. And so um, this has actually been a very big week for cryptocurrency in general because Facebook has launched what it calls a cryptocurrency, um, and that's drawn the attention of government uh, in terms of, like, not wanting to allow them to launch this without fully understanding how they can regulate it. 
I mean, <laughs> it's and, and I totally get you know the fact that when when especially when it comes from uh, you know a company like Facebook that so many people have concerns about from a from a privacy standpoint and and so on. Like there's there's so many pieces of that puzzle that and, and so many rabbit holes that we could go down. Let's let's do this, which is if you're sitting here today and thanks for the insight on that. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to downplay the insight on that. So thank you for that. Let, let me just ask you this, though, as you're sitting here today and knowing what what you know about these frontier technologies and what's going on in terms of female founders uh, and so on. Where do you see? Obviously, you see the biggest opportunity here in these in these frontier technologies, or you know, you wouldn't be devoting a fund to that. But where, where, if you had a, a college age daughter, as an example, what what would you recommend that that she do to position herself properly with the forthcoming wave of what's going on? What what, what should somebody do? Oh, absolutely. This is something I talk a, a lot about in the book. Yep. Um, so one of the myths is that you need a STEM degree to be able to be an entrepreneur in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, STEM, you know, science, technology, mm-hmm. engineering, and math. And uh, we all know that, you know, there's more men than women in those areas. Um, but But what's interesting is that many of the women in the book didn't have a STEM degree. A lot of them just maybe had a design degree or a business degree. And it was really just, they wanted to solve a problem. Um, They were passionate. They had grit. They, you know, had other driving forces that they were able to learn this along the way. And I think while it's great for more young women to go into STEM fields, uh, it's a good education to have. Um, and so I definitely would encourage it. It's not completely necessary mm-hmm. uh, to be part of building this future. Mm-hmm. And so I think the other thing is the way STEM is marketed to young women is pretty intimidating. Um, it's marketed as if it's, you know, oh, there's more boys on the robotics team, there's more boys in math. Um, you know, what if you marketed it in a way, well, you can actually envision a solution to a problem and have the tool set to build it yourself that's a lot more inviting don't you think Mm -hmm. so i think i think we need to change the narrative on stem and how it's being marketed Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and when you when you look at these 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 women tech founders on the rise uh, you know that you're that you feature here in in your book wtf is happening uh, which, if you had to choose, is there is there one or two of them who get you kind of the, the most excited where you feel the, the biggest opportunity uh, is, is potentially going to lie? I love all my children. You know I can't do that. <laughs> so of the children that you love, which one do you love the most? So, um, but, yes. Uh, you know, there there are 13 women and eight of them are in blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's obviously an area where I spend a ton of time. Uh, I think there's a huge opportunity, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't 
I, I don't really like to single them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's I got think, the most creative use of the of the technology in your mind at this point? Well, I'll tell you what. There's there's a woman in the book who is using virtual reality in a very unique way. Um, How so? She had uh, a sick mother, and she was a caretaker, and she wanted to be able to really feel what it was like to be the patient. So she designed a tool to become the patient. So it's it's now a tool for caretakers to understand what the patient is feeling. And that's one of the unique ways that virtual reality, right, it's it's a medium for empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, You can actually uh, be part of somebody's world, Um, you know, and, and... and it teaches you in a different way than just reading it. So mm-hmm. I think that's um, that's a really interesting use case. But how and, and how does that tie back to blockchain? Then I guess because or are you saying it doesn't? Just to separate the, that's the, a separate that that doesn't that doesn't um, okay. That's just another example. But I got gotcha. you. So yeah. does in in the world of virtual reality, which is super interesting and super scary at the same token. I mean, I've done video game type things in virtual reality with the you know with the whole mask and whatnot now so magic leap i think is the name right of uh right. one of the bigger vr companies yeah okay so right. are we moving like what does the future hold for this category are we moving beyond the sort of the mask if you will because that I, I think that's part of the one of the the stum potential stumbling blocks for the category is just you know, kind of that big, bulky mask kind of thing. Like, where is where are things evolving to as far as VR? Are you always going to have to have that big, bulky mask thing, or is that changing? Yeah, I mean, that's hardware. Hardware always, if you think about our cell phones, they started out very big and clunky and then evolved into the iPhone. I think... Hardware will always improve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Google Glass tried to do an embedded chip in your glasses, and mm-hmm. it didn't work for various reasons. But there's no, that's not to say uh, something like that won't work again mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's augmented reality where also, where you're not fully immersed, mm-hmm. um, but some elements are superimposed on the physical world. And a lot of that is being used not only by gamers and consumers with, you know, like Pokemon Go was a big thing a few years ago, mm-hmm. but also in enterprise. Like if you think um, one of the companies I'm on the board of is Visual Vocal and they do, they're helping um, construction and architecture firms to be able to communicate on big, massive projects where there's like 200 constituents at a much lower rate and a much faster pace. Um, hmm. Just using, by, by virtue of everybody just um, the synchronous and asynchronous communication, calling in and saying, oh, well, here's the building. We're going to put the door here. Does everybody agree? Okay, sign off. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can imagine, like, that they're using some antiquated tools right, right now for that kind of thing. Yeah. So. There's yeah. a lot of business cases for uh, VR and AR that don't get as much media attention. Mm-hmm. And I would think that to, to some extent, there has to be a multi-sensory approach to 
the the category in order for it to to really take hold, right? I mean, if you think about it, right now it's just it's just simply visual. There's got to be folks on the horizon who are taking a more multi-sensory approach to the to the category, no? Oh, there are, yeah. There are ha- full-length haptic bodysuits where are. you can actually feel sensations mm-hmm. of being immersed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think like when you're talking about the caregivers, uh, you know, feeling that pain, like that right. would be a perfect example of where you'd have to have that sort of bodysuit-esque. And then, of course, there's the whole... Uh, let's just call it the whole adult industry, you know, as it relates to virtual reality and augmented reality and so on. I mean, you know, and the VCR wouldn't exist if it wasn't for porn, right? I mean, it's just the internet wouldn't exist. I, no, I mean, I would think it's always it's always a leader. It's always uh, a leader. I mean, yeah. that's that's got to yeah, be no, in in, in uh, new technologies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, there's got to be emerging companies in in that regard that are going to help to to make this a bit more mainstream i mean again you can go down this path or not if you you know if you want but are you seeing companies that are that are looking at these technologies from that standpoint oh absolutely there's a whole wing uh at the consumer electronics show every year Mm. that's just dedicated towards that Mm mm-hmm yeah, and, and speaking of shows, were you just out of curiosity? Were you at Collision? Do you go? Uh, were you at Collision this last year? This Not last this May? year, but I have been there. Yes. Do you typically go to Web Summit, or what sort of conferences do you go to immerse yourself in this world? Um, well, actually, crypto and blockchain has its own litany of conferences <laughs> all around the world. So I end mm-hmm. up doing um, a lot of that, and you know, obviously, um, CES is is good if you're looking at like consumer and hardware um and yeah i mean mm-hmm. uh collision is always a good one mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of there's a lot of conferences yeah. <laughs> and we'll uh we'll wrap up here in just uh just a minute or so but uh just wanted to to get a sense of from from uh, from an investor standpoint you bring an interesting perspective to the table um, from the standpoint of when, when you write a check, and, and by the way, as far as your fund is concerned, do you, do you have a sense of what your average check would be when, once you guys launch? Between two hundred and fifty thousand to five hundred thousand. Okay, and so so we're talking primarily seed stage stuff, early right? Early stage, yeah. Early primarily stage. early stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when someone approaches you and says, "Hey, we'd we'd love for you to stroke this check for." You know, two fifty to five hundred. When do they, when do they get their your attention in terms of ROI? And and I assume you have sort of the one in ten approach, or two in ten, or I mean, hopefully ten in ten, right? But you know, knowing that one or two or three of those of the ten are going to be a grand slam, do you, do you have numbers that you're looking to get to in terms of what you were promising your investors, and and typically then how you evaluate? uh the the opportunities and from a return perspective yeah i mean a 45 point checklist but the reality is when you're looking at early stage companies you know that they're going to pivot a couple Mm -hmm. of times it's really all about the team and why them and timing i think why now Mm -hmm. you know why now versus the last year what's changed in the market to make this the opportunity right now or or should it be happening two years from now, right? Because mm-hmm. most most of the investments succeed or fail based on timing, I think. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, then sure. obviously the total addressable market is really important also at the early stage. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in terms of like the team, um, coachability is important too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, there's, there's the whole checklist of things, you know, you're looking for in a pitch deck, um, which I'm not going to bore you with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, understood. And, and when, but I'm talking about strictly, and thank you for that, but strictly from an ROI perspective, am I, are you looking, will, will you not even look at something unless you think there's a, a 10x opportunity or a, or a 4x opportunity? Like what, when you see that number, what, what gets your attention? Yeah, I mean, there, venture is a unique asset class in that uh, you're looking for companies that can scale very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and not every business is a, should be venture-backed business. There's mm-hmm. plenty of great businesses that don't fall into that category that do just very nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think in terms of returning capital to our investors, we have to look for certain criteria like that. Um, like, do we think this is going to be... Um, one of the home runs, and hopefully, you know, not everything works out for various reasons, but on balance, hopefully mm-hmm. you get that right more than not. Mm-hmm. Richie, anything else? Or Wade, I know you were kind of jumping out of your chair there for a second. You're good. Richie, anything else before we let uh, Nisa jump here? Yeah, I would just ask, so we covered a lot of new technologies, and also heard you say you like all your babies, but if if you were just a listener that, wanted to dabble in something um and i'll just i'm gonna ask twofold question one is if it went in the world of bitcoin do you do you think of that as just like currency trading like forget the blockchain element someone just wants to play they want to do something fun they want to put a few hundred dollars in should they just pick one and blockchain or excuse me bitcoin is like American money and Litecoin is like Mexico and like is it is you look at do you look at it like that and should people even play that's one question and then the second question is of all the technologies you cover which one do you see, see leading the way that's actually going to make a difference in the world the fastest hmm. so this is not investment advice <laughs> um, I would say that uh, you know, you you should be Bitcoin is a risky asset class, so you, you should do your own research. Um, be prepared, you know, it goes up and down a lot. Um, so you you know, I, I think some of the people that uh, got hurt in the last crash were retail investors. Um, things are different in my view this time around. There's a lot more institutional infrastructure and. The macro environment um, with negative debt is, you know, leading towards Bitcoin as a safe haven asset. Now, I'm not going to talk about altcoins because um, I'm not saying that I'm a Bitcoin maximalist, uh, but I do think Bitcoin is now broken apart from the pack and has the biggest brand. Um, It's been around the longest and a lot is being built on top of the network. So, uh, I would say, you know, pretty bullish on Bitcoin right now. But if you're looking to allocate a percentage, you know, of your portfolio towards this asset class, I definitely think it's there's never been a better time to be a venture investor in 
um, in the asset class than there is now uh, after the correction. And you should allocate towards a fund manager who's in it day in and day out and who really knows what they're doing so that you're getting broader exposure, not just towards liquid, but also illiquid investments that could really um, outperform. Yeah, Wade, something real, real yeah, quick. Just just real quick yeah, just real quick to uh, you know, kind of follow up on Rich's question, but turn it more personal than business. As you're looking at things like automation, Bitcoin, augmented reality, which do you feel is the coolest? Which do you feel is going to just be like, this is what I was waiting for in the future, you know, without worrying about what's the business potential of it? Right. No, I, I look, I think blockchain and Bitcoin, they're revolutionary. They're, they're, if you think about what the Internet did to communication, this is going to do towards exchanging value. And we're in a trust crash in the world right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's why this is emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, people are looking, uh, they don't trust governments, they don't trust big corporations, as you noted with Facebook and all the privacy issues going on in the Hill. And I think the macro environment is leading down this path more than ever before. And mm-hmm. so I think this is revolutionary. Um, I think, look, do I think autonomous cars are revolutionary too? Of course they are. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this is going to happen faster. Yeah. Well, really great insight. And uh, Nisa, do so much appreciate you taking the time to share that insight. And obviously, uh, I mean, God, you've got just such a and and this is the type of conversation that I can have all day long and certainly as you know your portfolio begins to grow and some of your companies get to eight figures and beyond we should definitely have them on uh, beyond eight figures and have you back on uh, at that point as well but you know really appreciate the the insight and the expertise is uh, is apparent here and so definitely recommend you guys continue the conversation here through Nisa's book uh, WTF you know uh, <laughs> WTF is happening Women Tech Founders on the Rise. So absolutely check out her book. And uh, and I assume, Nisa, Amoyles.com is the best place to send folks? Absolutely. Okay. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah, for sure. So that's N-I-S-A-A-M like Mary, O-I-L-S like Sam. So Nisa Amoyles.com. And really appreciate you joining us here today. <sighs> Man, I tell you, Richie, it's uh, th- this whole world of, uh, of frontier technologies is uh, pretty amazing. And I wish we had more time here to wrap up and chat. But unfortunately, we're going to have to jump here on Reinvention Radio. Be sure to check out all the past episodes at reinventionradio.com. And of course, check out our other show, Beyond Eight Figures, at beyondeightfigures.com. For Richie Ote and Mary Goulet, White Wade, and Kelly Pelker, I'm Steve Olsher. Talk to you next time here on Reinvention Radio. Take care. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests 
just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.